0: The Leader is delivered to your podcast provider at 4pm every weekday, bringing you the best news, analysis and commentary from one of the country's most trusted newsrooms. Subscribe and make sure you get it on time. Now, from the Evening Standard in London, this is The Leader. Hi, I'm David Marsland. The US has killed one of Iran's top generals. Now what?
1: There's a suggestion that there may be cyber attacks, there may be terror attacks. There is also a suggestion that allies of the United States could be in some danger.
0: We speak to our US correspondent, David Gardner, as the world waits to see how Iran responds and whether President Trump has a plan. Also,
2: Very young people who've hardly started their lives have those lives brought to an end.
0: The Standard's Home Affairs editor Martin Bentham has met Police Commissioner Cressida Dick writes for the paper to announce more police will patrol London's violent crime hotspots
3: and... So they posted a 5.2% full-price sales rise.
0: Business reporter Joanna Burke on how Next is giving hope to the high street the day before London Men's Fashion Week begins. Taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column, this is the leader. For the whole thing, pick up the newspaper or head to standard.co.uk slash comment. In a moment, Iran says it will take crushing revenge over the death of a top general. Does Donald Trump have a next move?
2: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze...
4: wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Our president will start a war with Iran because he has absolutely no ability to negotiate. He's weak and he's ineffective. So the only way he figures that he's going to get re-elected, and as sure as you're sitting there, is to start a war with Iran.
0: Donald Trump in 2011 claiming Barack Obama would start a war with Iran to get re-elected. Last night, the man now in the White House and facing election this year ordered an airstrike in Baghdad, killing Iran's most powerful military leader, Qasem Soleimani. The countries are at the brink of war.
2: Iran's
0: foreign minister, Mohammad Javad Zarif, appeared on state TV to say it was an act of terrorism but our editorial column says it was a high-stakes gamble that might achieve results if there's a plan.
5: General Soleimani, as the man behind both brutal repression of demonstrations within Iran and his country's aggressive expansionist activities in Syria, Lebanon and Iraq, has a vile record that should leave few mourning his demise. President Trump is not necessarily wrong to respond to the recent killing of an American contractor in a missile strike in Iraq, blamed on Iran. Previous attempts by Barack Obama to rein in Iran through a more conciliatory approach largely failed. The question, however, as so often with President Trump, is does he have a strategy? Eliminating a hated figure is eye-catching. But has he an effective long-term plan for dealing with Iran? The world waits to see. Our
0: U.S. correspondent David Gardner is in L.A. David, who was General Soleimani?
1: Soleimani is hugely popular inside Iran, uh, known as a very brave leader, uh, second only in popularity to Ayatollah Khamenei. A Time magazine profile of him in 2017 described him something like this: It said. To Middle Eastern Shiites, he is James Bond, Erwin Rommel and Lady Gaga rolled into one. To the West, he is responsible for exporting Iran's Islamic revolution, supporting terrorists, subverting pro-Western governments and waging Iran's foreign wars.
0: What's the White House saying about what happened?
1: The White House has said that the operation to strike Soleimani was at the direction of the President. They're saying he was planning strikes on American Uh, diplomats and military personnel at the time of his death and they've put the uh, responsibility for the deaths of hundreds of american and coalition service members at his door they're saying he'd orchestrated attacks on coalition bases in iraq over the last several months including the attack on december the 27th mr trump himself he tweeted a simple photograph of the american flag some of his staff were even more pointed his press secretary claimed the killing of Soleimani was the greatest foreign policy accomplishment, I would say, of the decade, if not our lifetime. No sense of modesty there.
0: David, how has Iran reacted?
1: The question really is, is what will Iran do to retaliate? It doesn't seem to be much question that they'll do something. There's a question, there's a suggestion that there may be cyber attacks, there may be terror attacks. The Pentagon is said to be bracing for these kind of uh, retaliatory attacks Uh, There is also a suggestion that allies of the United States could be in some danger. So that would possibly include the UK. Uh, That may indeed mean that that British military bases uh, will be on high alert.
0: There appears to be concern that the president made this decision without congressional approval. In the Democrat-controlled House, what have they been saying?
1: Democrats in Washington are very unhappy about the way it was handled. They feel that Congress should have been involved. There should have been some kind of vote, or at least some kind of uh, acknowledgement of what was going on. Joe Biden, the kind of front-runner for the Democrat nomination for the presidency, accused President Trump of throwing fuel onto the fire. Uh, His his actual words were tossing a stick of dynamite into a tinderbox. We could be on the brink of a major conflict across the Middle East, was his warning. Interestingly, both George Bush and Barack Obama did have occasion to, to go ahead with military action against Iran, and, and they were given the decision to whether or not to go ahead. Both of them declined, deciding that the escalation could be too serious, and the effects on an area in ter- a region in turmoil could be just too immense to take that risk. Uh, it appears that President Trump hasn't taken that caution. Uh, he's jumped right in.
0: Next.
2: The Commissioner says that she met mothers of 11 children uh, who've been killed. She wants to ensure that there are far fewer of those mothers that she has to meet in the future.
0: Home Affairs editor Martin Bentham looks at Met Commissioner Cressida Dick's article in The Standard outlining her efforts to tackle violent crime in London. You can read it in the paper or at standard.co.uk. Met Commissioner Cressida Dix, written for The Standard, pledging police will redouble their efforts to battle London's violent crime problem. She's making a list of promises, from more officers on patrol in violence hotspots to engaging with young people to divert them from crime. She says every murder or attack is one too many, and this newspaper agrees.
5: As Dame Cressida says in her article for this newspaper today, it is particularly distressing that 25 of the 149 victims of last year's bloodshed were teenagers, but every one of the homicides in the past 12 months was a tragedy. It is right, therefore, that the Met should use the arrival of 2020 to enhance its efforts to prevent further bloodshed. It is clear, however, that while Dame Cressida understandably focuses on what her own officers can achieve, much of the long-term response must be for others to deliver. As Dame Cressida says, London owes it to the grieving parents to stop the killing. Her words must be heeded by everyone.
0: Our Home Affairs editor, Martin Bentham, is here. Martin, one of the things that we've drawn out in the leader today from Christopher Dick's article is that 25 of the 149 victims of last year's bloodshed were teenagers. Something's got to be done, doesn't it?
2: Yes, uh, although as the commissioner herself points out in the in her article, and as we would endorse, every single death obviously is is an awful thing, a tragedy, and everyone would be better be if it could be prevented it is particularly upsetting obviously when very young people who've hardly started their lives have those lives brought to an end and particularly when you see the dreadful fashion in which some of this happens people being hunted down brutally attacked in a in a way that's sort of almost incomprehensible to most people i think that some complete lack of regard for life and indeed the consequences of the people who are carrying out those killings. So, yes, definitely more does need to be done. There has been a lot done already by the Metropolitan Police and indeed others associated with trying to stop uh, this this violent crime, and there have been some results. There are 23% fewer uh, stabbings of young people under 25, age 25 or under in London over the last two years. So the Met points to those statistics as a, as a broad indicator of some success, but clearly as they are the first to admit and the commissioner is first to admit today, it's still not enough because unfortunately still too many people are dying.
0: Cressida Dick has written about what the police can do and what the police are doing, more officers, more targeting of no knife carriers, more work inside schools. But this problem can't be solved by just the police themselves.
2: Well, exactly, and we believe that the long-term solution is, is what now is referred to as the public health approach, where you try to tackle the problem at its at root source, i.e. stopping people getting dragged into crime in the first place, stopping them picking up the knives, in, which is what's causing these injuries and fatalities in most cases, stopping somebody who's already picked up a knife from carrying out a weapon is quite difficult, you can't always be successful. The ultimate solution has to be to deter them and persuade them that that is the wrong way to live their lives and that uh, a better way is to go down a different route. And yes, exactly, that's why investment in, whether it be more work in schools, family, friends and communities actually need to be providing even more than they perhaps do, good role models, challenging those people within communities who condone knife carrying, another violent type of behaviour.
0: It is quite an extraordinary thing for a Met commissioner to feel that they should write an article for a paper like the Evening Standard or a paper anywhere, really, where they have to get this message out there. It just shows how big an issue this is for London and how much everybody needs to to get involved in order to, to do something about it.
2: Well, I think the, the commissioner says that she met uh, recently mothers of 11 children uh, who've been killed and talk to them and that in essence she wants to ensure that (laughs) there are far fewer of those mothers that she has to meet in the future and that everybody wants must be doing something that if they can to try to prevent that and so yes it, it does tell you that the problem is there that, that she feels the need to, to write this article. It's an important message I think she's conveying and one that I think lots of people should, as we say in the leader today, should heed.
0: And you can read Cressida Dick's piece in the Evening Standard or online at standard.co.uk. Now. London Men's Fashion Week starts at the weekend and just ahead of it, one of the country's biggest fashion retailers has given the sector... A bit of a confidence boost. Next is striding into the new year off the back of a 5.2% rise in sales. Our business reporter, Joanna Burks, covering the story. And Joanna, this is a bit of a surprise, isn't it?
3: Yeah, I think for the city today, it's a pleasant surprise. Uh, January is often next is the first of the big retailers to report Christmas trading. So in the coming weeks, we've got all the big supermarkets reporting. We've got John Lewis. We've got some of the fashion guys. So today... Next gave us a nice pleasant surprise, uh, upping profit and sales guidance for the upcoming financial year. And that was on the back of really good Christmas trading.
0: Can that be continued as all those other companies make their announcements?
3: This is what the market is going to be watching closely. So I think let's not get carried away delving into next numbers for the trading at Christmas. So they posted a 5.2% full price sales rise and that's from October 27th to December 28th but if you grin down into those numbers you can see that most of that sales growth came from online so next have been doing very well online they had a dip in sales uh, in their stores uh, but that was better than they had expected that dip to be if that makes sense and I think looking at the rest of the companies to follow you know there's optimism but let's not get carried away
0: a nice little surprise ahead of Men's Fashion Week in London, though, isn't it? It'll, get, it'll put a spring in a step of a few models going down the catwalk.
3: Yeah, I think, uh, so let's bring it back to next. So fashion, you know, they're a fashion retailer. I spoke to their chief executive, Lord Wolfson, this morning. Big sellers for them were jumpers, jackets, boots. Part of that was partly to do with the cold November. However, you know, I think there's no harm in having a bit of sentiment going to Men's Fashion Week. We've got new stats out this week, which showed in the West End. Since Christmas, there's been an uplift in footfall in the West End. Only marginal, but it's encouraging to know there's floods of international tourists and Brits in town. Of
0: course, all the attention will be on all the photographers and all the fashion, but the fashion industry itself is really big for London. It's a really important part of the the economy here.
3: Yeah, I think for businesses in the fashion sector, you know, we've had political turmoil. We've got Brexit. Despite that, We've got companies, including menswear labels, that have been opening shops in the last 12 months, investing into London. So these brands still see the capital as a gateway into the rest of Europe. You know, they want stores on Bond Street. They want to be in the heart of the menswear land. Um, So I think, you know, this is a big chance for people to showcase, you know, new designs um, and show hopefully that London is open for business.
0: And that's the leader. You can subscribe through your podcast provider and we'd love you to give us a rating too. We're back on Monday at 4pm.
4: Hi, I'm Lawrence Delaglio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance.